Campsite Media. Hello? What is the... What do you want what me to say? What is going on here? Like, oh, it's why? just, um... Chameleon. Chameleon. Okay. You're listening to Chameleon. A production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> Remember the movie Scarface? It's a cult classic now. Al Pacino plays a gangster, Tony Montana. I got 284.6. That's just not possible. The machine don't make mistakes. Tony is sitting across the table from a businessman. There's a money counter on the table and piles of cash overflowing from cardboard boxes. The two men are arguing over the count, the amount of cash on the table. There's a discrepancy in the numbers. Let's count it again. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, business is business. Come on. You're talking $1,500 here. Okay, you keep the change, okay? I don't give a shit. I mean, this check here. Where does this check go? Montana Realty Company. Montana what? Montana Realty Company. Now, Tony Montana does a lot of stuff wrong during his transformation in Miami from poor Cuban refugee to wealthy drug lord. Lies, killings, broken alliances. But this is an important scene. This is where he gets busted. Turns out, the guy laundering Tony Montana's money, he's an undercover cop. The whole thing? It's a sting. And Tony gets charged with tax evasion and money laundering. Even though Tony did a lot of other worse crimes, This is what the government gets him on. Emile Buari probably should have watched Scarface all the way to the end. From Campside Media, this is episode six of High Rollers, season two of Chameleon. So when we left off last time, Emil Buari and his brother Gus are getting off a plane from Miami. It's February 5th, 2016. Dennis had asked Emil to come to Las Vegas to discuss future business. But Dennis insisted that Emil bring his brother with him. So Gus, wanting to support Emil, agreed to come. As they're walking down the jet bridge, Gus notices Emil staring at his phone. Emil's getting texts from his girlfriend. Kim Milko. There was a lot of texts, and um, I didn't see, but like I could tell, like he had to stop and like you know he was like what you know what the fuck, and a lot of texts saying, "Call me, call me, call me." Kim's in Costa Rica as this is happening, so he calls Kim and she's like frantic. So Emil was like looking and he was talking to Kim, telling her to slow down. Um, you know, like what's what's going on, what's happening. Kim explains to Emil that the FBI has arrested their friend, Mary Green, while she was at her boyfriend's house, sitting on the toilet. Kim tells Emil that she's worried that Mary's arrest has something to do with Dennis and all of his money deals. I was like, damn, shit, that doesn't sound good. But I was very calm. Like, this was, I still remember this very, like, I was still standing straight. I was, like, checking my phone, um, you know, listening to Emil and going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But as they walk through the airport, Emil and Gus get tense because Dennis had actually said that he was going to pick them up at the airport. 
They're transiting quickly down the hallway, knowing that at any moment they could run into him. And then they do. We get down the escalator and then Dennis comes up. And Dennis says, hey, Gus, uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, you're not, you don't answer your phone and stuff like that. Like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm here now. You know, no biggie. Then Dennis said, hey, Gus, would you excuse us? I'm like, yeah, sure. Dennis takes Emil to the side, away from Gus, and starts talking about money and business. This is Emil. So Dennis comes and starts talking again, gibberish. We're going to do so much money. We're going to do business. As Dennis and Emil are talking, Gus sees them walking back toward him toward a Starbucks he's standing near. I could see, like, Dennis start to walk away. I was like, what the hell is he doing? And then Starbucks right next to us erupted. And all these people just stood up. And they're all FBI agents. They get up, they come closer, and, uh, you know, get on the ground, get on the ground. And I'm standing, and Neil gets on the ground. I remember, like, he gets on the ground before me, and I'm standing, and I'm still looking like, what? What? And then the ag- one of the agents comes up to me and says, please, sir, get on the ground, get on the ground. And I think I didn't get on the ground until he put a hand on my shoulder. Um, like, it was serious. Like, look, yeah, get on the ground. And then I started to get on the ground. And um, I honestly thought, like, Okay, fucking hell, like this is some stupid shit. I don't know. I God knows what Emil did. God knows what Dennis did. They arrested Dennis as well. Like, you know what these fucking guys are up to. So I thought I would be up in a second, you know, and they would maybe take Emil or Dennis and handcuff these guys. But all of a sudden, handcuffs, I was put into handcuffs. When I felt those handcuffs go on me, I got cold all of a sudden, you know, like um, I had this cold feeling or shiver up my spine, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Here's Emil. I'm thinking about, you know, my brother, how did he get in, you know, what did I, why did I do this? Why well, should have never introduced him to these people? The FBI agents usher Gus into a white, unmarked car waiting outside the airport. And I get in with this guy, just one officer, in the driver's seat, and I'm sitting with my hands, my hands behind my back, in the front seat, he puts on the seatbelt for me. And um, so when we were in the car, we're driving. And then like after, I think it was like after five minutes, the guy was quiet. It was very quiet. It was dark. Uh, you know, the empty streets of Vegas. I asked him, like, am I being punked? <laughs> like, is there, you know, like, am I being punked? And then he, he actually found it very amusing. He smiled. But then he looked at me and I looked, you know, I kind of, maybe I looked like, you know, like a guy who really didn't know what was happening. And I think then he's, you know, he softened up a bit and he's like, no, you're not being punked. So after Gus and Emil are arrested, they go to a jail in a suburb of Las Vegas. They're mixed together with everyone else who'd been taken in over the weekend. I honestly didn't think I was going to be there long. Some detainees, they said, hey man, what are you doing here? Like, yeah, well, I don't know. Truly, I don't know why I'm here. And they're like, who arrested you? I was like, I think it's the FBI. Like, oh my God, man, it's the feds. Like, yeah, the feds, yeah, when the feds get you, man, the feds get you. He's like, yeah, you can't get out of the feds, man. You can't can't do no bail. I'm like, this guy's wrong. There's no way I'm going to be out here, like, very soon. Like, I'm definitely going to be out here in a couple days. Like, this this is, there's a misunderstanding fuck this, um, this is bullshit. Like, there's, there's a misunderstanding here. There's no way I'm here, 
Like long. No way. Emil and Gus spend the weekend in jail. And then, on Monday morning, the Buari brothers are escorted to an indoor holding area. That's where they find Mary Green. And they aren't alone with Mary. There's an FBI agent in the room, too. An imposing man who had more to do with their arrest than anyone else. But they haven't met him. Until now. Charles Rowe. Or Chuck. Mary looks around. The room with barren walls. Emil and Gus just sitting there. And Chuck lording over all of them. I have never met Gus at this point. Ever. Only heard about him. But not a lot. And I remember sitting there, and I turn over, and I try to say something to him, and Charles like, shut up, don't talk to anybody. I'm like, oh, whoa, okay. I can't remember exactly, but I think that's where he said. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, wow. I didn't know Gus, one little part about him. I'm like, wow, what is he, a terrorist or something? But Chuck isn't about to allow any sort of chatter among the targets of his FBI investigation. And he went off. He's like, you two, shut up, don't talk. And he pointed his finger to Gus and says, especially you. You don't deserve to be here. You're going to be kicked out of this country. You need to be in Lebanon or wherever. I couldn't imagine how somebody could be so mad. He was like personally mad at him. It was odd, like went off. I'm like, wow, who peed in your Wheaties today? The three are about to be transported to the courthouse in downtown Las Vegas for their initial hearing. Gus, at this point, knows Emil must have been doing bad stuff, but he still doesn't know why he's here. Here's Gus, who, remember, had only brought Emil a money counter that one time in Miami. He never laundered money himself. The U.S. Marshal asked this Asian FBI agent, Charles Rowe, now I know him as Charles Rowe, um, what is this guy in for? He's like money laundering. I was like, what? <laughs> I remember in front of the U.S. Marshal, because I'm thinking like, hey man, these are the good guys here. Like, wait a minute, no, no. You think I'm a bad guy, but no, 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 you're not understanding. I'm a good guy too. So I'm like, no. Wait a minute, how did I money launder? And I remember till today, Charles Rowe looking at me, quiet, silence, even the U.S. Marshal turning up to look at him from his desk, like, are you going to say something? And then he says, it's complicated. And I'm like, it's complicated? How can it be complicated? You either money laundered or you didn't. How is that complicated? But anyway, he said it's complicated. They typed in money laundering. We sat down, and then they took us to court. At the courthouse, Emil, Gus, and Mary are assigned to public defenders. Gus's lawyer informs him that the Justice Department is charging him as part of a conspiracy that allegedly laundered money for an FBI undercover agent. What is, like, what's the jail time? Like, what are we looking at here? Like, she's like, zero to 20 years. I'm sorry. The Justice Department alleges that Emil, Gus, Kim, and Mary were all part of a money laundering conspiracy intended to conceal the profits of illegal businesses. Together, they laundered $590,000 and kept about $50,000 in fees, the Justice Department claimed. 
The illegal businesses they laundered money for, in this case, were Dennis's happy ending massage parlors, which of course didn't really exist. But that doesn't matter when it comes to conspiracy law in federal court. Prosecutors only need to prove that the defendants thought the money was coming from an illegal business. Emil, Kim, and Mary had all laundered money for Dennis. Their transactions were all secretly recorded by the FBI. So their alleged roles in the conspiracy were clear cut. But Gus? He didn't launder any money. But by delivering that money counter in Miami, prosecutors allege, Gus is part of the conspiracy and had committed a federal crime. The simple act of Emil forgetting a money counter machine. More after the break. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. So Gus and Emil are facing a judge in federal court. At their detention hearing, a federal prosecutor argues that Gus should not be released on bond because he's a foreign national in the United States on an investor visa. For that reason, she says, he's a flight risk. And the same prosecutor argues that Emil shouldn't be released on bond either because he's a flight risk and a danger to the community. She describes to the judge how Emil had discussed with Dennis, the FBI undercover agent, the prospect of hiring a hitman to harm someone I talked about a lot earlier in this podcast, Paul Pata, the local Vegas lawyer and former federal prosecutor who was suing Emil for defamation. They keep mentioning this guy called Pata, 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 Pata. This court hearing is the first time ever that Gus has heard the name Paul Pata. Gus turns to Emil at the hearing and gives him a look. A what-the-fuck kind of look. Gus then asks his lawyer, the public defender, who's Paul Pata? He's like, well, that's the name that your brother was going to, uh, is supposed to harm. Harm? Didn't they just say money laundering? Like, how is, like, what do you mean harm? Gus feels his stomach drop. Emil was going to harm someone? And then I find out that there's a whole other story to this case. Remember the Better Call Paul guy? The Las Vegas lawyer who Kim said she had a flirtatious relationship with at a time when she and Emil were on the outs? That's Paul Pata. After Kim and Emil reconciled, 
They claim Paul confronted them at a Las Vegas restaurant, something Paul denies ever happened. This is what Kim had said. He came right up to Emil and I, and he started uh, kind of pointing his finger into Emil's chest. And he's like, hey, like, whatever. I can't remember, you know, just antagonizing him. And then he said, I fucked your woman, and she loved it. Okay, and after that alleged incident, some bad reviews about Paul went online. And Paul sued Emil and Kim for defamation. That's around the time that Dennis and Michelle entered Emil's life. And after Emile's first money laundering transaction for Dennis and Michelle, something pretty intense happened. They were at Emile's clinic, talking, when Michelle said he wanted to talk to Emile privately. Here's how Emile remembered this. He said, listen, now you're part of us, you're our friend, you're our family. And for family, Michelle is willing to do a lot. Do you have any problems? Like, do you need people to be, you know, taught a lesson? And one day, Emile tells Michelle that he actually does have a problem. Paul Pata and his defamation lawsuit. Michelle and Dennis talked about this with Emile later, and they were receptive to hearing about the Paul Pata problem. It's in everybody's best interest that, that you are protected because if you're doing business with them. Yeah. yeah, you need to be protected. Uh, so Whoever met with you, you have to know because you, know, you want to protect you. So I told him, I didn't know what guy was accountant or accountant. is an attorney. He's an attorney. And then Emil said something pretty jaw-dropping. I know some people that are really rough, like Shia people mm. from Hezbollah. Yeah, Shia fighters from Hezbollah. That's what Emil said. They don't play games, but they don't just beat you up. They will yeah. they're commanders. Oh, they're commanders from Hezbollah. Oh. So they don't they don't just go beat someone up in hospital. They'll oh. just beat oh, you off. They came out. Yes. Oh, okay. So I can't, I mean, that's, I can't do that to this guy. No, no. I do need yeah. someone to come and beat him up on the end. Kind of teach him a lesson. Yes, teach him a lesson. Yeah. Maybe. Well, what's the, what's the guy? Maybe it's put, an attorney, yeah. Oh, maybe put him in a wheelchair for a little, for a little yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. No, that's what I for will at time. some point yeah. need that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So now Emil's saying he knows people who can hurt Paul Pata. These guys from Hezbollah will fly in, assassinate, fly out. It sounds like bullshit. And when I asked Emil about this, he claimed that it was. That he was just trying to act like a badass. Dennis and Michelle acted like tough guys. So he acted like a tough guy. And the more crazy, it seems the more crazy you become, or the more outrageous, the more outrageous you become. That's why I said, yeah, I know Hezbollah. I mean, anyone who knows anything knows you don't just know Hezbollah and then pay the money to fly to the States and take someone out or something. It's, it doesn't work that way, I mean. But bullshit or not about Hezbollah, in the undercover recording, Emil does sound like he's genuinely open to giving Paul an exclusive tour of a hospital room. Um, I want to help you because it's also to my best interest yes, to help you. I get it. Okay, so I will, we will help you. But make sure you don't like No. Ask you like. What? No, no, no. Broken jewel and broken Here's dollars. the deal. The price you're going to get charged, you can tell. It's not okay. the final. The okay. final is... The final they're talking about? was a body bag, and how much that would cost. What Emil was interested in, what he said he would consider paying for in this recording, was something less than that for Paul Pata. Some broken bones, a bloody nose, a lot of pain, but not murder. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for Emil. Talking about commissioning an assault on a guy who's suing you for defamation is, well, despicable. 
it reflects horribly on Emile. Still, it all just amounted to talk. Emile didn't commit to paying for any sort of assault on Paul. Dennis and Michelle offered him the opportunity to commit this crime, to hire the hitman. And Emile never agreed. He never said yes. He talked a big game, sure, but he never stepped over the line. But getting Emile to agree to a hit on Paul seemed to be important to the FBI. Really important. As soon as Emile left the table following this conversation, Michelle begged Dennis to tell Chuck that he made every possible effort to get Emile to commission a hit on Paul Pata. Yeah, yeah, I will. You pushed it. You pushed it. Dennis agrees, and Michelle still implores him. Make sure you tell him. It was important to Michelle that Chuck knew he pushed it. And Dennis and Michelle didn't leave it there. Just before Emile moved to Miami, they revisited the question of hurting Paul Pata. They'd asked Emile to do one more money laundering transaction. They were in a hotel room in Las Vegas, an FBI camera hidden above a television recording the meeting. As Dennis told Michelle to get the money for Emile. It's in the room. Oh, oh, it's in the bed. In the bed, okay. Emile pulled out his money counter and started running the bills through the machine, just as Emile always did when laundering Dennis's money. As Emile was counting, Michelle asked him again about Paul Pata. So what you want us to do or what you... Nothing. Oh, he's no longer a threat. I don't even, you know... Well, let me, let's just count. Emile didn't take the bait, but Dennis didn't give up. That uh, last time we met, it was that job that he wanted me to take care of, maybe? He's the guy who's trying to serve him, but he's not going to find me. It's it's not, him. No, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not. You know he's going to keep looking for you, though. That's fine. Michelle followed with more, your problems are our problems, salesmanship. And now, and now you are with us, so you yeah. know, anything you need or somebody taking care, you know, Dennis already have, uh, have the people in place. These conversations were just that. Conversations. No action. But they were enough to get Emil locked up as he awaited trial for money laundering. Enough for the government to claim that he was a danger to the community. More after the break. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. The Nevada Southern Detention Center, where Gus and Emil were sent, is a jail in Pahrump, Nevada, in the middle of the desert, near the California border. Pahrump, population 37,000, is a dry, dusty place, hot as hell in the summer, and also the largest city in Nye County, one of 10 counties in Nevada where brothel prostitution is legal. In addition to the detention center, Pahrump is home to two brothels, the Chicken Ranch and Sherry's Ranch. Federal detainees and sex. There aren't many other reasons to go to Pahrump. In the jail... There are migrants who are in there for crossing the border illegally or overstaying their visas, as well as federal inmates and criminal defendants awaiting their trials. Here's Gus. Because I could hear other people coming in, people who are scared as well, and like other advice by the inmates saying, hey, listen, dude, uh, the detainees, uh, listen, you got to understand that this is your world now. You know, you can't like, don't start thinking about the outside until you get on the outside. You're here now. 
Okay, you got to accept that you're here now. Emil wasn't helpful. Emil was like just on his bunk the whole time. He wasn't helpful. And I was like, wait a minute, man, I got to figure this out. I got to get out of here. Gus still doesn't understand what's going on. How did this whole money laundering conspiracy get started? Why were FBI agents trying to get Emil to harm that Las Vegas lawyer? Emil isn't much help in explaining. Plus, Gus is pissed. And Emil knows it. Well, probably he was blaming me because he didn't know everything. I kept him out of a lot. I didn't tell him who they were. I said they were investors, business investors, and so on. In detention, they really didn't speak. This is Paul Engstrom, an inmate at Pahrump who got to know Gus and Emil. He told me what it was like in there with the Buari brothers. Gus was on one side of the dorm, literally on the, f- the far one side, and Emil was on the other side. And they, they didn't eat together. They really didn't talk much. Um, I mean, Gus was upset with them, I think, because he really, as a big brother, he shouldn't have involved them in something like that. Paul and Gus became fast friends behind bars. This is Gus again. He kind of looked at me like a specimen. <laughs> you know, I, I think at one point I was like amusing to this guy. And then he told me, he's like, can I see your indictment? And I gave it to him. And he told me, do you understand your indictment? I'm like, well, they're saying I'm money laundered. He's like, yeah, they're saying you money laundered. But do you understand this statute? He's like, look, this statute says you money laundered, knowing that the proceeds of this money laundering came from illegal activities from prostitution and narcotics. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, that's what this says. I'm like, no, that's not true. He's like, I'm not asking you if this is true or not. I'm telling you what this indictment says, what the government is saying that you did, that you laundered money, you aided and abetted your brother, you helped him to launder this money, knowing that the proceeds of this money came from prostitution and narcotics. The reason Paul knew all this is because he's a jailhouse lawyer, a prisoner who learns about the law and helps other prisoners. Paul's whip smart and understands the legal system. Paul's in jail on a federal drug charge. Turns out, he got busted by a federal informant too. I had a friend in town here who wanted some ecstasy or MDMA and I, okay, I'll get you some. So I got him a small amount. He kept wanting more and more and more. And I, I mean, I, that's kind of a normal thing in Vegas when somebody comes to town, hey, can you help me out? It's a party town, you know, so I helped them out. But what Paul didn't know was that his friend had already been popped by the feds, and he was now working for the DEA. I got arrested for having, I think, five ounces of MDMA. MDMA is commonly known as ecstasy, or molly. Five ounces, it's not a huge amount. Anyway, when Paul first met Gus at Pahrump, he knew, he could tell. Gus wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't really talk to Emil much, um, but I, I befriended Gus and he was kind of a fish out of water there. Of all the people there, he was the one that least belonged. He didn't really even understand why he was there. I mean, there's different kinds of people. There's people that are criminals and people that aren't. Gus is not. The way that you would describe Gus as a civilian, I mean, he's not like a criminal. He doesn't think like a criminal. He doesn't act like a criminal. You know, he's not really like the thing where, yo, you don't, criminals, you know, don't be a rat or don't talk. 
And that doesn't even apply to Gus because he's not a, he's just a civilian, you know? Like he got into some, some situations in there where like people would, like he would want to go talk to the, the people that work at the jail. But to him that seemed normal because he doesn't think like a criminal, you know, like, oh, I've got a problem. I need to talk to the authority figures, you know, like he's just that he's just a square kind of guy, you know. But it's not a bad thing. That's just that's just how he is. He just wasn't in the right place. I mean, he stuck out and I mean, I felt bad for him, really. Paul's about to help Gus understand the process, how the federal criminal justice system works. He tells Gus that he needs to ask his lawyer for what's known as discovery, all the evidence against him including the FBI's undercover recordings. Paul explains to Gus that he can review the evidence in the jail's law library and get a better understanding of the evidence that the government has against him and his brother. So Gus starts waking up at 5 a.m. every weekday to go to the law library to listen to and transcribe the FBI's undercover recordings. I transcribed everything, and I had Emil to you know, to ask, to bring them back to, and like he would read what I bring him. For some reason, he didn't want to listen to Discovery. He didn't want to hear himself. He didn't want to see anything. He wouldn't go to the law library. Even though I'm like, look, man, this is your fucking fault. I know, you know, you didn't mean for this to happen. I know you had my best interests at heart and you fucked up because you forgot that stupid money counter machine, but fucking do your part, man. Like you go to the law library and listen, but he wouldn't do it. Explaining Emile's behavior at this time is tough. Emile struggles at times to be reflective, and he's not one to admit weakness. And so when I asked him about this, he told me that he knew the case was bad and that he just needed to be patient. That's why he acted this way. But Gus and Paul say, Emile fell into a depression, that he just lay on his bunk all day. He messed up his life, and he messed up Gus's by getting involved in money laundering. And so I think Emil just crawled into himself in Pahrump, shut himself off. So without much help, Gus spends day after day listening to and transcribing the FBI's recordings, much of which you've heard. And then he'd find Emil on his bunk and ask him to explain what was happening in the recordings he just listened to. So I was the only one fighting. I would transcribe and say, dude, what are they talking about here? Like, what are they referring to? Gus hears everything the money laundering transactions involving Emil, Kim, and Mary, the failed attempts by Michelle and Dennis to lure in other people, conversations with Emil about the supposed hitman for Paul Pata, and the two trips to Miami. And one thing Gus discovers is that the FBI guys were using their time in Miami to party on the government's dime, even when Emil and Gus weren't around. Remember how in the last episode, I described how Dennis and Michelle, along with Gus and Emil, were going to a strip club in Miami. Chuck called Dennis and Michelle while they were alone in the car. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Can you talk? Dennis and Michelle told Chuck that Emil and Gus knew some Russians, Ukrainians, and Turks, suggesting to Chuck that these people might be money laundering suspects. It was all nonsense, an excuse to justify going to the strip club, which Dennis and Michelle tried to downplay to Chuck. Strip I, I think it says strip slash I don't even know if it's a full strip club. It was a full strip club. So they went there. Michelle's FBI device recorded everything. 
Sally, standby champagne will come next. Right there, Emil. Right there. This is how Gus remembered that night in the strip club, as they first arrived. And um, we get there, and uh, the bottle comes, and drinks come, and they're laughing, and they're getting lap dances, and like a bunch of kids, man, like a bunch of kids. The, the, the strippers would come, and they would sit down, and they would talk, and they would, they would see that there's money on this table. <laughs> like, you know, there's money here. Hearing the recording, while in detention... Gus knows about this part, because he was there, in the club with them. Emil, who'd only agreed to stay for one drink, left after just a few minutes. After seven minutes, you see me walking out. I'm like, bye, guys, I'm out. And once Emil left, Gus ditched Dennis and Michelle and went to a different part of the club. But now, with the undercover recordings that Gus is listening to in jail, Gus can hear what happened after he and Emil left Dennis and Michelle to themselves. For more than an hour, the FBI's recording device captured Dennis and Michelle's conversations at the strip club. Dennis seemed to acknowledge, in a comment to Michelle, that there was no operational purpose for them to stay at the strip club now that Emil and Gus were gone. We got Dennis, in case you couldn't hear, said, we got to get some information from these girls, referring to the strippers, so we can tell Chuck something. The two of them laughed, and then Michelle said, oh, Dennis, I love it. About an hour later, again, during a time when Dennis and Michelle are not engaging at all with Emil or Gus, Michelle appeared to get a lap dance. It's tough to hear, but Michelle was recorded telling a dancer, sit on it. And then you can hear the sounds of their bodies rubbing together. The FBI's recording device between them. And you can barely hear what sounds like Michelle moaning. It's, well, yeah, pretty gross. And I'm not going to subject you to more recordings from when Dennis and Michelle partied by themselves. There are hours worth. But imagine being in Gus's position, in jail, hearing these recordings. After his arrest, Gus figured there must be some valid reason all this happened. Emil must have been up to some seriously bad shit. But now, with these recordings... Gus is beginning to wonder, who's the real bad guy in all this? His brother Emil? Or the FBI guys? Dennis and Michelle? Emil, with the help of Mary and Kim, laundered $590,000 in total, resulting in money in their pocket of a little more than $50,000. That was the total take for all three of them, Emil, Kim, and Mary. That's all they got over a two-year FBI sting. That's a decent amount of money, but not change-your-life money. Not FBI Most Wanted money. Not even fucking close. But what did Dennis and Michelle and Chuck get from all this? 
They got paid for two years to work on Operation Botox. They got to go to fancy restaurants and nightclubs in Las Vegas. They got to take trips to Miami and party at five-star hotels and strip clubs. The recordings, like this one, were shocking to Gus. Dennis, in case you couldn't make that out, said he's going to have a good time tonight. He was in a club in Miami with Michelle. I'm going to drop some fucking money, Dennis said. It's worth noting here that when Dennis said he's going to drop some fucking money, he's talking about FBI money, taxpayer money, our money. As they left the nightclub, the FBI recording device picked up Dennis talking to another patron, bragging about how one of the dancers at the club put her number in his phone. She actually asked for my number, so she put her number on my... Uh, she put her number on my... Uh, I'm so fucking ready. I'm so fucking wasted. Yeah, and that's Michelle saying, I'm so fucking wasted, as they're about to drive off. But it's okay. Dennis was also caught on the tape saying he had a plan in case driving drunk became a problem in Miami. I'm gonna call drunk if I get pulled over. Get pulled over? No problem. Dennis said he'll just call his partner, Chuck and get it all taken care of. Get out of jail free card. Dennis and Michelle were so blatant about their behavior, they didn't even bother to turn off or remove their recording devices. Knowing that ultimately, all of these recordings would end up in the FBI's files, they just didn't seem to care. To Gus, listening to all these tapes, the undercover agent partying, the informant getting a lap dance and saying he's drunk, the FBI going after anyone who knew Emil. The weird and desperate attempt to rope Emil into a hitman plot. Operation Botox seems... dirty. Like an FBI case that went off the rails. So I called my wife, and I said, listen, honey, um, fuck these guys, man. Nobody here, nobody in Vegas gives a shit. Let's find somebody out of Vegas. Let's find a former FBI agent to send the discovery to, and to ask him if these other things that are happening in the case is a normal thing. Like, why don't we have an FBI agent to tell us this? Okay, it's an FBI thing. You know, let's get an FBI guy. And so that's what Gus does. He gets an FBI guy, an insider who can help him expose what went wrong in Operation Botox. More on that in the next episode. This is High Rollers. In the next episode, Gus gets some help from his wife, Esra, who never questions his innocence. No, this guy didn't do anything. I mean, I would know if he did something, right? I would know. Esra finds a former FBI guy to look into Operation Botox. She just told me the backdrop of it. And, you know, it's something I had heard a thousand times before that the person's not guilty and completely innocent. I was skeptical, but I have to tell you, she had a way about how she was expressing it that sounded very, um, that she believed it at least. And that FBI guy, he discovers some crazy stuff, including a story about the FBI's informant and a fake diamond. I met him after playing poker one night because he was posting and I was buying stuff and I was at the Rio and I met him and he, and he shows me the diamond. 
Chameleon Season 2 comes from Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. Our executive producers are Vanessa Gregoriadis and Adam Hoff. Alex Yablon fact-checked the series. Margot Williams also contributed to research. Mark McAdam composed the theme song. Doug Slaywin and Sam Leeds provided production support. The executive producers at Campside Media are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed High Rollers, please rate and review the show. It really does help other listeners like you find the show. To listen to more episodes, you can find the show on Amazon Music. And you can even listen on your Amazon Alexa, simply by saying, Alexa, play the podcast Chameleon High Rollers. Take me in. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.